You are listening to The Game Plan on the official Raiders Podcast Network. Here's your host, JT the Brick. Stand with you and say congratulations. Well, I love it. Thank you, Brian. I love it very much. This is the great, greatest moment of my life. And I'm, just, I'm very proud of this bunch of guys. You know, we were a little bit surprised at how wide open you came into this game, and you challenged the Philadelphia defense right off. I know in your first third and three situation, you ran at them, and that was one thing you weren't supposed to be able to do. That's right. We, we weren't going to we weren't gonna pull any horns back. We were going to go with a big play. We were going to go after them within the realm of our, our, our game plan, and, and uh, that's, it just worked out fine. Um, Jim it winds up the MVP of this game. We all know just what he's done. He's 13-2 and two as a starter. But let me ask you very honestly, when Dante went down at 2-3 and three after five weeks, did you think this could be possible? I didn't know if this could be possible. I knew we could win with Jim. I felt we could win with Jim because he was a fine quarterback, and we had a lot of confidence in him. I didn't know that it would come this far because that was right. We only had played five games. But once we got in the playoffs, I knew we were as good as any team in the playoffs, and we had a chance. Tom Flores, how cool is that? In the locker room, Brian Gumbel interviewing him after Super Bowl 15. Two-time Super Bowl champion, legendary Raiders kicker, Chris Barr, kind enough to join us. Chris, I've seen you on a couple of Zoom calls the last couple of months. Thrilled to talk to you on the radio. Thanks for coming on. That's a pleasure to be on. It's, uh, the Zoom calls have kept us in touch with everybody, so that's nice. Let's stay with that for a second. It's incredible what this alumni team does. You know, led by Mark Davis at the top and Shannon and Mark Bedane, they jump on these calls and you're able to stay in touch during a pandemic with not only your teammates, but also your Super Bowl teammates. That must be a tremendous blessing for you to be able to keep in touch that way at this time. I'm telling you what, the Raiders, there's no team like them, I don't think, with keeping in touch with alumni and keeping us engaged and making us feel like we're welcome all the time. I mean, I played with two other teams and uh, from one of them, I don't hear anything ever. From the other, you get your annual, you know, they have their one day at training camp. But uh, it, just being a member of the Raider family, I mean, it's kind of special. And, yeah, you know, to sit there on those Zoom calls with the 80 team from 40 years ago, and it's amazing. Guys never change. I mean, we could not see each other for 20 years, walk into a room, and it was like we were with them yesterday. So uh, it's it's just kind of special to be able to do that. Two-time Super Bowl champ Chris Barr, kind enough to join us. So, Chris, I want to go. You have two Super Bowl victories. Let's talk about Super Bowl 15, the 40th anniversary. As you just mentioned, a lot of guys on the Zoom call were talking about that make-or-break moment when you were 2-3 and three, and the meeting that the players had and Upshaw and everybody talking can you take us back and share with the listeners what that moment was like before Jim Plunkett had his opportunity? And it felt like the season was on the brink, but you had confidence you could turn it around. Yeah, I think everybody did. It was funny because we were playing two tough teams the next two games. We were playing San Diego and uh, Pittsburgh. And, you know, Pittsburgh was on the road, I think, on a Monday night. And, you know, I think after winning those two games especially, I think we knew we had something special. Uh and then we get on to Philadelphia later on and, you know, lose the 10-7 game during the season. Uh, and I think then and there, everybody knew we were good enough to play with the best. And, you know, if we just kept our wits about us, I think we figured we could get to the playoffs. And once you get there, who knows? So, you know, being born, state college, going to Penn State, growing up in the cold and kicking, then coming into the league drafted by Cincinnati, an outdoor cold-weather team, I mean, this was make or break. You could have been a Bengal for 10 years. What's the backstory 
on how you ended up coming to the Raiders and got that big break in your career on your way to two Super Bowls. I mean, I, I really think it had to do with when I was a rookie, and uh, I actually thought I'd end up as a Raider, I think, coming out of college, and they passed, and I went to Cincinnati with the next pick, and I I remember running into Mr. Davis at the old college all-star game where you played the, we played the Steelers. I was in the last game that got rained out in the middle of the third quarter. And I think he always, uh, he, he kind of said, I'd like to get you back someday. And I think it just worked out. I got released from the Bengals. They brought in a whole new regime after we had gone four and 12, two seasons in a row. And, uh, you know, the first, uh, Two people to call were the Raiders and uh, Tampa Bay, and Tampa Bay had a Raider connection from the very beginning. And uh, from what I understand, I I think they were pretty split because Jimmy Breach had had, he certainly had had good years, and uh, I think he sort of led it up to Tom and Coach Flores made the decision and. As they say, the rest is history. Chris Barr is our guest, two-time Super Bowl champ. I don't know if you got a chance to see the advanced copy of the 30 for 30 on Mr. Davis and Pete Rozelle and what that looks like. What jumped out at me is you're playing in all these big games, and it's Pete Rozelle giving the Lombardi Trophy to Mr. Davis in a packed, I'm talking packed locker room. What were those moments like knowing the tension? between the league and Mr. Davis and the Raiders keep winning. Was Pete Rozelle the elephant in the room that you guys were thinking about, or you were just too busy playing football? I think we were pretty much busy playing football. We were all aware of it, and I think everybody was interested to see how that was going to play out after the game. But, I mean, they're both professionals, and, you know, for that 30 seconds or 45 seconds, they put their differences aside and you know it's it seemed pretty normal but i think everybody was kind of interested to see how that would play out chris bar is our guest chris tell me the big difference between both teams super bowl 15 and super bowl 18 and your role on both teams what are, what are your biggest memories and the difference between those super bowl championship seasons i think the biggest difference is the 80 team no one expected us to be there mm-hmm. and i think the 83 team we were as good as any team I'd ever played for. I mean, we had uh, talent up and down the roster. And uh, it, I remember that season because we played really well early in the year. It was uh, I think we started out 4-0 and or 5-0. and And then we went where we ended up turning the ball over a bunch. And then we got back to playing again. In the games that we didn't turn the ball over in that 83 season, no one came close to beating us. Uh, the only times we were beaten is when we – pretty much beat ourselves in terms of my role on it i was just along for a ride on along for the ride on both of them i mean they're great teams i did my part you know when things came up but uh you know all in all it was just a pleasure to play with them yeah you did more than your part chris finally once a raider always a raider what does this organization mean to you today i'll tell you what i've never played for any team in any sport and you know going back high school college that keeps us uh, in the forefront, not so much in the news, but in terms of how they value everybody that went through that organization. And, the, you know, the old line, once a Raider, always a Raider, you know, may sound trivial to some people, but it's true. And I, I know myself, and I'm sure I speak for a lot of other players, we're just thrilled to, to stay a part of the organization, and we're looking forward to the day we can go out there and see the stadium and watch a game out there. Thanks, Chris. I'll talk to you soon. Really good catching up with you again. Thanks for everything. How much snow you get today? We got about eight inches. Still kind okay. of flurrying, but uh, <laughs> so it was easy to make time for this. I didn't have anything else to do but shovel.
Thank you. If all my listeners were that great. Thank you, Chris. All the best. We'll see you soon. JT, thanks. You take care. Touchdown, Las Vegas. Since starting Allegiant some 20 years ago, we've flown more than 100 million people to be with those they love. We're pilots, flight attendants, and technicians. But we're also parents, spouses, and neighbors. And just like you, we're excited to reconnect with the people and places that matter most. That's why we're going the distance for health and safety, on the ground and in the air. Because the further we go now, the safer it'll be to go farther tomorrow. Allegiant, the official airline of the Las Vegas Raiders. Low fares, nonstop flights, only at Allegiant.com. Once a Raider, always a Raider, as I welcome in former Raider safety, Joe King, who now is a successful country singer. The first single on the new album, Down in Stillwater, Oklahoma has climbed up to number 49 on the Texas regional radio chart this week. Joe, great to talk to you. And congratulations on your music success. Thanks, Jay. How you doing, man? I couldn't be better. Usually I start off my interviews with former Raiders who are high school quarterbacks and made it to the NFL with the early years. But I want to spend most of our time talking about you and your success as a musician, now as a country music singer, and how this journey came about. Well, I tell you what, man. Um, that was a question I was asked <laughs> a few weeks ago. But actually, you know what? It actually started right at the lighthouse in uh, Hermosa Beach um, doing karaoke. Uh, Forever and Ever, Amen by uh, Randy Travis. I started singing that song, and and I learned in the head to karaoke on the off nights when I was playing at uh, at the Oakland Raiders. I went to learn that song. It was a great platform, and uh, I built up the, uh, the courage to get up there on stage and start singing, and and uh, that was the first song I sung, and, 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 and most of my repertoire of my music started changing slowly over the country music, and, and, uh, but that was the start of it, though. Joe King joins us. Joe, I'm, I'm a karaoke guy. I've sung in front of the Raiders <laughs> karaoke. I've jumped up with bands. That's what I do. Talk about the courage to do that. You're an NFL player. You're playing for the Raiders. You're going to a bar. I'm sure there were a lot of people around. Did you have to build up your courage to do it? Yeah, you know, I mean, it was some really great, fantastic singers in there, you know. And uh, I said, man, I need to really practice on this to be able to get up on that stage because there was some really impressive singers getting up on that stage. And So, uh, from so that, your, teammate, your teammates saw you do this? or were this was, it, was this something you did to get away from your teammates and you were anonymous, or did your teammates know you were doing this? No, it was something I did getting away from those guys because <laughs> they would have right. probably – Make jokes of make jokes about me get up there singing karaoke, <laughs> especially country, especially country. Wow, incredible! So you go to Oklahoma State. I want to talk about South Oak Cliff High School, where you played quarterback. Sure. I've interviewed so many former players who started off as quarterbacks. You're so athletic. You are tall, tall, lanky, big safety. How'd you make that transition? Did you fight to keep the quarterback position? Did you have to fight to go play defense? Did you want to stay? playing quarterback when you got to Oklahoma State? Well, JT, yes, I, I did. I wanted to play quarterback when I uh, went from uh, South Oak Cliff to Oklahoma State. We had a great team. Uh, we had uh, Thurman Thomas as running back, just to name a few, Hartley Dykes receiver. And uh, everything was in place. Mike Gundy was a quarterback at that time. And so um, we, we needed a little bit more speed over there on the defensive side. And Coach Jones says, hey, man, i, I got to have you out on the field. And so I uh, went into tour days at uh, cornerback and, and had never played defense, you know, ever. And, uh, of course, you know, just 
just wanting to get out there and play my athletic ability, I played corner at Oklahoma State. And uh, from corner then transitioned from, you know, Oklahoma State to the pros, which switched me over to uh, free safety at that point. But but uh, it was it was a tough transition initially. Uh, I did want to play quarterback, but, you know, it was all about uh, helping helping the team out and, and basically getting us to where we wanted to go. Joe King is our guest, former safety in the NFL, Cincinnati, the Browns, the Bucks, and the Raiders in 1995. So that's really fascinating to me. When you make this position change, what was the big moment for you, the memorable moment at Oklahoma State that got you on the map of the scouts, the NFL, Al Davis's scouting department. What what do you think was the reason you made that transition to the NFL? Well, JT, I'll tell you, um, that transition from going to corner, uh, of course, again, you know, you had guys coming out of high school that had played this position and had a knack of it. Well, I was just basically learning just off of just my raw ability. Uh, but going into um, uh, a game, uh, it was Tulsa, Tulsa University, Tulsa. T.J. Rubley was the quarterback. You had Dan Bisson as the uh, one of the receivers that was there, uh, highlighted receivers that was there. Um, the first game I played in, I basically picked off an interception, and and uh, you know the rest was kind of history. And start building that confidence, building that confidence, learning the defense, learning you know positioning where I fit into the defensive side at, at a cornerback, you know. And so it's a different uh, type of uh, game when you're playing corner versus safety. And so, uh, but but that's kind of when it, when, it, when it started. And uh, after that first game, I played, got an interception. I started from from then on, you know, until you know, little injuries kind of hampered me here and there. Wrapping it up with Joe King. So, Joe, what was your best memory as a Raider? What was that moment you go back to with your teammates, being on the field, Oakland, coming from uh, back from LA to Oakland for that first season? What are some of your memorable moments playing for the Silver and Black? Well, I tell you what, man. Um, Eddie Anderson was the starting free safety at that time when I was playing. Eddie went down, and basically, I jumped off in there and and and, and became a uh, uh, a really good uh, safety at the time that I was playing. Um, I'm trying to remember a game. I think it was probably Denver Broncos, and and. Uh, uh, I made a lot of play. I think I, I, I wind up being the uh, had the most tackles and had a forced fumble, and I got a game ball uh, of that for that game as well, among some other games. But that one, one that that one highlights um, highlights uh, you know, uh, just to name a few. That particular game really highlights a game that I had a really really good game and and really enjoyed it. And uh, you know, back there in the backfield with with uh, Derek Hoskins. Um, I was back there with um, quite a few more of the guys. Uh, you know, I can't remember names off the bat right now, but uh, there was some really good uh, – Albert Lewis, um, James yeah, Trapp. Albert Lewis. So there were some great guys uh, that I played back there in that backfield with, and uh, we did win that game too. It was, it was a big game for us. Well, I have the track in front of me down in Stillwater, Oklahoma. The website – is joekingband.com. I want to make sure everyone on Raider Nation Radio goes to joekingband.com to listen to country singer and former Raider safety Joe King. Joe, it seems like you're living your best life. I can't wait to see you out here in Vegas when we open up and we'll play your music, get you out to a remote, and get you out to this beautiful stadium, okay? Absolutely, man. I just wanted to add, too, that the uh, Texas Jam Band, which is the ace in the whole band, where the uh, the guys that went in the studio, Benny MacArthur actually uh, produced that album too, LP of total five songs, and 
And man, I tell you, it, it turned out better than I even thought it would be. And and I never would have thought that it would have been, you know, on the regional chart like it is now. Well, you know, my son goes to the University of Oklahoma. He's Boomer Sooner. You're Oklahoma State. I'm sending him this track. He's getting into country music. I'm going to have his fraternity brothers play it. And we're going to get you some love down there in Oklahoma from a distance over there in Norman. And we'll see if we can get that going for you, okay? I appreciate it, buddy. Thanks a lot. Take care. Joe King. Once a Raider, always a Raider. I am thrilled to talk to famous actor, Raider, former linebacker, Carl Weathers. Carl, thanks for doing this. Really appreciate it. How's your day? My day is fantastic so far. I'm in Southern California. The sun is shining. It's a reasonable temperature outside in the midst of winter, and uh, the skies are blue. So, man, come on. And we're having a conversation. Can't get better. Absolutely. Tell me about the early journey to get to San Diego State playing football and some of the paths that you had to take to follow your dream as a football player. Well, oh, JT, I, I got to tell you, that's, that's, that's a novel or a book or a something because a brief conversation doesn't really cover it, but I'll, I'll give you a few points on, on how one navigates what I managed to navigate. Uh, being really very naive, being really very ignorant, uh, but just having a lot of desire and being able to capitalize on opportunities that presented themselves. And uh, I was fortunate enough that I was given some God-given talents, uh, that I had some God-given talents and that I managed to develop those talents. And it wasn't a plan. It was just uh, those things really excited me. Football for one, acting another. And I just kind of put my head down, went forward, and... Uh, when those opportunities presented themselves, I did my best to to succeed and to make it. And, you know, as they say, <laughs> the rest is history. But I will say this for anybody who's listening, if you don't have a young kid listening or a young person who's maybe in high school or college, uh, and if you can support them in those things that are healthy and those things that will uh, keep them excited and keep them committed to whatever it is they're after, Support them, support them, support them, support them. Because, uh, you know, kids, we've all been there, and we really need it, especially from our, our relatives, our parents, uh, our, our brothers and sisters. Carl Weathers is our guest. I'm fascinated. You play for Don Coriel. Don Coriel, and then Al Davis gives you an opportunity. Show me the bridge from Air Coriel, Don Coriel, to Al Davis. <laughs> well, both were very, very, very single-minded men. Uh you know, before Just Win Baby was fashionable, uh, and I was at San Diego State and played for Coach Coriel, uh, our, I guess our ethos was Just Win Baby. Uh, in those, I was a transfer from Long Beach City College and really had no idea I was going to continue in football because, again, my, my acting for, my love for acting started when I was a kid in grade school. Uh, but I found myself in the theater department just by by accident almost when a when a teacher I had suggested that I go and read for something and I did uh, but uh, coach Coriel was there and the and San Diego State was there and came and scouted me and offered me a scholarship and so there I was a uh, kid not knowing what he was going to do or how he was going to do it and suddenly I had an offer to go to college because my folks had no money for that and I 
just wasn't sophisticated enough to know what I had to do to make that work. So uh, I accepted that offer. I had a few others also, but, you know, at that point, I was living in California and wanted to stay in California, and San Diego sounded like a good place to go. So I went down, visited, fell in love with what I saw and what I heard, and Coach Correale was uh, a winning machine, and San Diego State was a winning machine, and, uh, man, those were two and a half of fast and furious years. I think we lost one game in that those two seasons I played there, and, um, you know, there were so many people along the way. The names go on and on and on who were really helpful, and um, then I got this opportunity when I, after I'd injured my knee and there was speculation of whether I was going to have to have surgery, which I never did. It was never that bad. Uh, and I got a, an opportunity to, to walk on for the Raiders. And I went, God, I went and uh, at that time we were practicing in uh, Santa Rosa. Santa, Santa Rosa, Rosa, sure. Yeah, at the, I'm sure you remember that, the uh, El Rancho Motel. Which oh, Carl, the before. stories, the stories yeah. you have would make everyone blush back in the day, uh, huh? Well, well, I got to tell you, man, there were so many other players who had so many more stories <laughs> and who were much older than I, the veterans. But uh, I made it, you know, and, and for a kid coming out of uh, college who was basically a walk-on, I was the only free agent that made it with the Raiders. And my God, everybody else there who made it that year, I think there were about seven rookies, were Fairly high draft choices. And, uh, you know, again, the rest is history. Carl Weathers is our guest. Carl, tell our listeners the big break that happened in your acting career. You're an athlete, good-looking guy. You get down, you decide you want to go down that road in your life. Was there a big break, a moment of fate, where if you didn't get a role or you get that role, it opens up the door for everything? Well, JT, in hindsight, we can always say that. I'm sure you've got stories you can tell about a big break that came along. But at the time, you know, you're just you're just doing your best to succeed. And it wasn't like you could, you know, have 2020 future vision and see where it would take you. It's just that there was a job that came along and a script that came along and people that came along and they showed interest. And you put your head down, did your best to be uh, as good as you could be. And the success came. And, and so. You know, every time I went out for a television show or a movie and and uh, no matter what the so-called pedigree was of the project and the producers and the other people in it, I just wanted to keep succeeding. And uh, I did. And Rocky came along, which is the one that everybody points to. But, you know, I consider the first one of the first roles I got where I had a speaking part in, in uh, Kung Fu or uh, Streets of San Francisco, or Barnaby Jones, or Cannon, or SWAT, or any of those shows that were going on back then, and lots of them were, uh, they were all huge successes for me, you know, and I think for any young actor. Um, so, you know, here we sit today, and how many television shows and movies and, and uh, events and, and projects later, I, I can point to one as sort of, I guess, the the genesis, but they've all had their important place yeah. in it as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, those, those shows you mentioned in the 70s and 80s were legendary network television shows. I mean, Absolutely. the audience side, the audience size was huge when we only had three channels back in the oh, day and everybody yep. was tuned in. Let me ask yeah. you, when you played Apollo Creed with Sly, 
when we what was the toughest day of work on the set for you and the follow-up would be what when did you know it would work when you said man i don't know if anybody's going to look at this movie right now this day but before it turns out to be the legendary movie that it was when did you get the gut feeling it would work well you know there's no simple answer to that question because i every day for me was absolutely uh, a, a thrilling experience because I felt so comfortable in the role. And even when there were issues where it wasn't terribly comfortable, John Abelson, the director, was there to encourage me and to support me and and to make me believe in myself, I guess you could say, you know. Uh, and, of course, I mean, that was a low-budget movie. I don't think people realize it. At the time, that movie was budgeted for under a million dollars. And... Uh, and didn't go much more than that because the studio just wasn't going to pony up anymore. But the producers put themselves on the line and the movie was made. And once the movie was out, I'll give you a great example of how things really work because no one knows. But I was in New York City for uh, one of the premieres and uh, went to it and people seemed to love it in the theater. And got up the next morning and went for a walk uh, through Manhattan and not far from my hotel going down the street. And all of a sudden I'm hearing, yo, Apollo, yo, Apollo from Street Vendor. And man, there was terror because you're prepared for failure so much of your life, but you're not prepared for instant success. And that movie was an instant success. And there I was trying to figure out what do I do now? Uh, Because I didn't have any real support team in terms of professionals around me who could tell me. I think it surprised a lot of people. Um, so there was no moment except when suddenly I found myself being recognized on the streets of Manhattan. And wow, uh, okay, that's scary. Yeah. That's really scary. Carl Weathers is our guest. You know, for me, I know I speak for millions when I say it felt like a Muhammad Ali moment for us kids watching that movie and then seeing you the rest of our lives and having the swagger that Ali had walking the streets of Manhattan. Carl, as I'm interviewing you, my friends are blowing up my phone and they're saying, ask about Chubbs Peterson from Happy Gilmore or your your work on Arrested Development. One of my best friends, my best friend says he loves that role in Arrested Development. So other big things recently for you. Yeah, I mean, you know, those those are a part of, I guess, uh, uh, the work I've done and people have really responded uh, positively and have really enjoyed the work and still do. Um, they introduce a lot of the work to their kids and their kids, uh, you know, see this and they just go crazy. So the good fortune, you know, has followed me and, and really JT, I, I want it to continue to follow me. I want to do more and I'm really excited about the possibilities that lay ahead. But you know, Right now, it's you and me, man. We're talking, so one step at a time. (laughs) Carl, finally, once a Raider, always a Raider. What did it mean to you to be a member of the Silver and Black and still be a member of that family today? Well, again, uh, you know, when when I was, what, 21, 22, playing for the Raiders, uh, I was just so excited to be a professional football player. But I had no real idea of the magnitude of that accomplishment at the time. 
And I don't know that any kid at 21 or 22 does. I think you learn or you experience it over a period and, and get a, a, a kind of inside view of the magnitude of it. But over the years, I have appreciated it more and more and more to know that I am uh, one of a handful of men in this country from around the world who have played in the NFL. And, uh, you know, much can be taken away, but that can't be. So I, I, I wear that mantle proudly. Yeah, I'm proud to interview you. You had a big impact for me as a moviegoer, someone who's watched a lot of TV in my life. And when they told me we were going to have you on, this, this organization from Mark Davis to the alumni department, they really care about you. You got a brick, a brick with your name in front of Allegiant Stadium yeah, and yeah. so many opportunities, Carl, to come back to Vegas and be a part of this family and the functions that are going to happen. I'll, I'll wrap it up that with the pandemic and, and how it's changed your life. If you can leave us with a positive thought on what you're telling other people how to get through one of the most difficult times in the history of our country, you're in shape, you're fit, you're vibrant, and how you're doing it. Well, uh, I, I don't know that there is any any advice I can give anyone, I'll tell you how I managed to do it. It's literally one day at a time. I don't get too far ahead of myself. I do my damnedest not to live in the past. And I wear that mask, man. When I go out and I'm in public for any reason, I wear that mask. I am not a partier. I do not hang out with a lot of people. And I get it when young people want to have that interaction uh, but I do care about whatever years I have left. I have sons and grandkids, and I want to be around for them as long as I can. And uh, I don't want to infect someone else. Uh-huh. So, you know, I just, I hate, I lay low, and I have for, well, it's been a year now, right? Yeah. It's coming up on a year in March. Uh, I lay low, man, and just, uh, you know, just do not. Uh, mess around with this because obviously we know what the numbers are and my suspicion is those numbers are underreported. So I I suggest that people take what they've read, heard, that tells them about protecting themselves and others very seriously. Yeah, it's a perfect way to wrap this up. Carl, an honor to talk to you. We'll do it again. Thanks for the time, especially during Super Bowl week. I greatly appreciate it. All the best. Uh, JP, thank you, too, and uh, go Raiders. Thank you for listening to The Game Plan on the official Raiders Podcast Network.